Hello, and welcome to Overburden, the podcast for postal workers. I'm Brandi Hughes. And I'm Kevin Hitchings. Today, we are going to talk about um, hazardous substances in the mail, particularly white powder. Which I can't believe we haven't covered yet. For some reason, that just occurred to me the other day. Yeah. Strange. And it's funny because we talk about that all the time in health and safety meetings and like when's the last time we had a drill, when are we going to have another drill, like it's it's an ongoing thing. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this in the depot enough, but we've run, I don't know, a dozen drills in the depot. Some of them have been good, but we've never had a perfect drill still. Wasn't that one nearly perfect? Like, I can't remember what was wrong. Uh, there was one that was almost perfect, except the uh, we have a fake package, and we put some, uh, I can't remember what I put in it, I think it was artificial sweetener I had in it, and some came out on the, the person's hand, and he went to wash it off, which, first of all, you shouldn't leave the area, we'll get to that, and secondly, there are some uh, acids that come in a powdered form. And they react with water. And they activate when you have water on them, yeah, so he could be perfectly fine until you get your hands wet, and then he's burning his skin. Right. So we don't want to, to do that. Um, I would maybe brush it off with a cloth, not with the other hand or something. But I wouldn't wash it unless the people direct you to. Do you want to talk about the fabulous parcel that you made to do that? Because I think it was really well done. Well, the, what, I, what I did was I had a cardboard box and I taped the heck out of it with just a few little cracks mm-hmm. so things could leak out. And I filled it with uh, artificial sweetener. And then I had a battery-powered fan I got from the dollar store and put that in there. So it actually vibrated, and then the fan would kind of blow up the powder a little bit, so it smoked just a teeny bit. Oh, yeah. The, the one time it was, like, wafting out. Yeah, at the, at the, <laughs> at the start. And then... Uh, it was it, really disturbing. It's quiet enough that it's not super obvious until you're right there. And then when you touched it, it vibrated a little bit, and it was leaking a little bit of powder. Uh, I took a picture out of a magazine, I think, to, and cut into a postage stamp shape. So it wasn't obvious, but if you looked at it, you could tell it wasn't a real postage stamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no return address on it, which is a sign. And I put a obvious fake name, and I kind of customized the name to the person I was giving it to just to make it kind of funny to them so they would notice it more. I had uh, Chewbacca Kenobi for a Star Wars fan. And yeah. uh, I totally forget the name off the top of my head right now of the, the original drummer for the Beatles before the Beatles were famous. That was good. I didn't even know who that was until you told me. And then but the person saying, I gave it to you recognized it did. right away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did. So, <laughs> just to make it entertaining. So, yeah, that's the way we run our drills. Um, I come in early when we've done them before, and I put it in right as the mail is coming into the building. So mm-hmm. the, the LCAs, the letter carrier assistants sorting the mail, will get it first. And we kind of run the drill with that. And then it goes to the packets rotation people. And uh, the LCA is there, or the PO4 is there. And they uh, will kind of run the drill again. So we have it done twice. Um, And they've done it a couple times, so they know now, I think. Uh, And then it actually goes to the letter carrier. So we'll actually run three mini drills in one day. And uh, because of the way people come in and the way our depot is separated, we can kind of run them in isolation. So the next person doesn't necessarily know either, which is kind of neat. Um, I think it's important to note that if you want to run your own drills, um, 
it's nice that everyone is surprised and doesn't know what's coming, but you need to make sure that someone in management knows that you're running a drill. I disagree, well, sort of. We want to be there to catch management before they go calling the area performance okay, center or and stuff. Or that you are there, yeah, because you yeah. don't want them phoning the authorities to come and, and deal with this hazmat situation right. when there isn't actually a hazmat situation. <laughs> Our uh, superintendent insists that management's made aware ahead of time, but j just because she doesn't want them to be embarrassed when they screw up, I think. Um, I'm completely against that. A drill should be a drill. I agree. Um, tried to run fire drills and she's like, okay, we want to make sure people are going to the right exit. So, so make sure you're here to direct people before the fire alarm goes off. It's like, no, if this was a real fire. Nobody would know. Right. So you want somebody there who knows, like you say, to stop um, the supervisors from calling the fire department in. But until that point, I don't want them to know. Yeah. It's not a realistic drill if they know. I know that there's been times we've planned fire drills and I'm not, they're trying to pick a day and I'm like, I want to be surprised. Don't tell yeah. me in advance. Cause then I'm like ready. I've got my coat on. I'm like, I didn't unpack my purse and that's not a realistic um, test of how quickly we get out of the building. Is yeah. it? I don't uh, mind so much when they say a fire drill might be coming in the next month. Oh yeah. That's cool. Then I don't know which day. I would still not even, I'd still prefer not even that, but they do sometimes. But yeah, the more realistic a drill, fire drill, lockdown, hazardous material, anything is, the better. Because you're trying to, the whole point of the drill is to try and simulate what would happen in reality. And in reality, nobody comes in and says, hey, the building's going to catch on fire tomorrow, be ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, they go, well, why are we even having a drill? Why, like, why are they testing us? We know this stuff. And yes, we all know it in our minds. But when you're actually in the situation dealing with it, sometimes you panic. And or your brain shuts down or whatever. And there's time limits on the fire drills that we failed a couple times. Oh, yeah. And if they were real, one guy came out a half hour after the drill, <laughs> which was <laughs> strange. Was, he was in the facilities. He heard a commotion, but he was in the bathroom and didn't want to come out. So, okay. Um, and like I say, we haven't had a perfect white power drill yet. The first one we did, the person knew it was vibrating, knew it looked weird, and he left it on his case for over an hour. And we went and asked him about it. And he talked to us for like 10 minutes about nothing being strange today. And we said, what about the package? He goes, oh yeah, that is really strange. And then when he realized it was vibrating and leaking powder, he literally threw it at me. So yeah. <laughs> and then our, uh, one of the management at the time said that was a success because we learned from it. And I'm like, no, there is no way that was a success. And, uh, throw it at someone else. The person kept denying they did anything wrong when we were trying to tell them like, this is what we should have done. He's like, oh yeah, I know, I know. I did everything great, and I know it's like no, I don't think you learned anything actually. <laughs> so that was uh, strange and scary because you think it, well, the the thing that gets me is like when people do this wrong, it's not just that they did it wrong and haha. It's that if that had actually been a problem, you might have just killed all of us. You might have contaminated everyone here. And yeah. like I hate to be a downer on it and be like this is really important, but it is really important because there are things out there that could be that serious. So let's talk about how to do it properly. Okay. If you're, uh, let's say you're a letter carrier or an RSMC at your sortation case and a package comes in that just doesn't look right. And we've had things that aren't super obvious as well. Um, mm -hmm. We had a person on the street one time drop a letter into a letter carrier's satchel and the person was in an obvious weird disguise for some strange reason and the envelope had no stamp, no address, no letter in it. That was strange enough that we treated it as a hazardous material because we have no idea what or why this person is doing that. 
we ended up, uh, supervisors actually ended up calling the fire department and they all came in and they took it very seriously too. If anything, um, they're always very careful. They always search things, but you know, they were super careful with that one because they're like, this is just too weird. Like, we don't see anything in it. There's no powder, but who knows? And uh, yeah, so don't, don't hesitate. If something is just weird, report it mm -hmm. and go through the process just in case. Yeah, and I think as, as letter carriers, we sometimes think, well, we're, these things aren't even going to get to us because, like you said, they go through um, the the clerks first who are who are sorting them to our roots. And so we think, well, if, if something got to me, somebody else screwed up. But there are times where people do hand you mail on the street. Can you send this back for me? Or this is delivered to the wrong address or whatever. And a lot of times we don't even look at it. We just stick it in our bag and carry mm -hmm. on with our day, right? I think I've gone through so, this process four times. And there was that one, but all the rest got to the letter carrier at the case. Um, one, a guy picked up, he was looking at the address and he squeezed it a little harder, I guess, than someone else would. And this white powder literally blew out in his face. Ooh. Whereas if you're picking it up, scanning it and throwing it in a bin, that's likely not going to happen. You're not going to notice you're only holding it for a second. Right. So yeah, it definitely can make it to you. Well, I remember one time we were sitting in a health and safety meeting and one of the people in our depot found powder in a letter tanner. Yeah, and they in brought the it in. And and it was, yeah, the meeting ended rather suddenly. <laughs> yeah, we had one where uh, I don't think we actually caused hazmat on this one because we knew the customers are a regular thing. But the guy found uh, that a powder was on all the packages in the bottom half of his rack and it was something leaking from the top. Huh. And then he realized, oh, it's coming from this place and he knows what it is and they called them. And a lot of times that's all the supervisors will do. They'll call the customer. That is the procedure. And say, yeah. hey, do you know what this is? And if it's a known uh, company and it makes sense, then uh, they don't sometimes go further. But anyway, we were going to talk about what to actually do. So when something, when and if something does actually make it to you. It's really important that you don't move the the item around. Uh, you don't want to take it through your facility and show it to everyone. You want to stay where you are because you might already be contaminated and you want to keep the parcel or the letter where it is because it might be contaminated with who knows what, right? So if you can alert someone, a supervisor, another worker, a health and safety rep, it doesn't matter. If you can alert someone that uh, you found something that you're worried about, um, do so and or get someone else around you to go alert the supervisors, but, but right. don't do it yourself. You don't want to actually leave that location. You want to put the package down and mm -hmm. stay right there. And, you know, unless something's actually burning and you need to get off or something, you do not move. And in fact, if you have a, a silver bullet, a, a cart or anything like that, you should be using that to kind of barricade off the area and have someone else go so get that, it. So that go get a supervisor. Else can come in yeah. and, and then therefore get yeah. contaminated too. Not get it, get a supervisor. And yeah, your job is to keep everybody else away from what has already potentially contaminated you. Right. Right. So yeah, phone a supervisor, call a supervisor, have someone else do it, but nobody else should be anywhere near that package. That's a good point. I never said phone and we do, most of us have phones in our pockets. So yeah, if there's no one around you, just phone the supervisor in the office. Um, Which can be a pain if you're working as a postal clerk in a small town, like there may not be somebody else around and then you may just have to phone the fire department to yourself. I don't know actually what the procedure would be if there's nobody, if you just phone your supervisor from there and stay in the building. Small places let people work alone. Yeah. I think they usually try to have two people on. Yeah, you might have to, eat, well, if someone's on lunch, I mean, you might even have yeah. to lock the door and keep customers out at that point because safety is the absolute priority, of course. Right. Oh, yeah. I think you would definitely want to keep customers out if you were in a small Depending place. on what area got. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to be able to go to the counter and serve any customers either if it's something in the back. Right. Anyway, 
Um, but yeah, that's by far the priority. You section off that area and you have somebody else, preferably, uh, get the supervisor. And even if there's several people around, you can always use those people to help keep others away. Because uh, usually, I think we've had enough of these at, the, at our depot, that it's people just go, oh, there's another one, and they stay away. But if there's a new employee or less common in your facility, I guess you might want to use other bystanders around just to help with crowd, crowd control to keep others from coming by. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of difference between if the parcel is leaking versus the parcel is not. If it's just suspicious... Um, then you don't have to try to um, check everything else to make sure that it's not leaking on things. And... So suspicious, by the way, there's a lot of okay. weird warning signs too. Most of them I mentioned earlier with my fake package because I tried to make that is with as many warning signs as possible, but no return address. Um, obviously not every package has a return address, but it is odd if one doesn't. Um, you know, usually something wouldn't make it to you without proper postage, but that'd be weird. But fake names, no address, and leaking would be the, the three weird things, weirdest things. And then like something moving in there. Um, oh, that would weird me out. Yeah. <laughs> like some, a lot of shipping labels will have a, a vague description of something's uh, buzzing in there. And it says alarm clock or, you know, wind up toy or something silly, chattering teeth. <laughs> then, you know, but if it, you know, if it doesn't equate at all, if it, something's vibrating and it says stuffed animals, something's strange there. Someone's obviously being mistruthful. You don't have vibrating no. stuffed animals? No, not personally. Oh. But, uh, yeah, if it has a description and something doesn't add up, that might be something else. But uh, anything that just seems weird, fake names, um, fake addresses. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where it's like if you're suspicious, you're suspicious and don't be embarrassed by it. I mean, it's better to find something yeah. than to let it go through and maybe have someone get hurt by it. Yeah, and it really shouldn't matter where it's going. If something's suspicious, it's suspicious. But you might want to be a little extra careful if you know, uh, you know, it's going to City Hall or it's going to a police station or if it's going to a politician's house, if you know there's a politician on your, your route or their office. You know, you might want to be a little more careful because some strange things have been mailed to all those places before. Yeah, they can be targets. Yeah. Um, so, like I was saying, if it's not leaking, your supervisor will just try to get a hold of the sender um, or possibly the the person who's supposed to receive it uh, to find out what is in the, the parcel. Um, so they might be able to explain why it seems suspicious or what the powder is or if it's leaking. So if, if there is something leaking out of it, then you want to try to contain that. Um, so they'll usually place it into uh, a bag that they can seal or a tainer that they can put a lid on. Um, or not touch it until hazard control gets there. Or not touch yeah. it until the hazmat team gets there, right? If you know you're calling hazmat, then... I wouldn't even put it, try and put it into a bucket, you know. Well, there's I no would, point in having more people touch it no. if you don't have to. Though, this is the ideally what you would do. In past, we had a supervisor say, I'm pretty sure that's artificial sweetener and then taste it. That's a no-no. Don't taste it. We had a... Don't smell uh, it. Don't taste yeah. it. We had, had another carrier who took something that was leaking liquid to the supervisor's office, walked it all the way through the depot, had it dripping through the floor... And the supervisor said, get that out of here and go bag it. So the person went back out on the floor, got a damaged goods bag while it was dripping across the depot again, bagged it, and then took it back to the supervisor. So now this 
who knows what it is, potentially deadly package has gone from the floor to the office, back to the floor, back to the office. I made three trips through the depot. Mm, um, leaking on whatever. Yeah, so that's the carrier's fault for bringing it to the supervisor in the first place, and this, obviously the supervisor's fault as well for sending it back, because both those things are not what you should be doing. Right. So Canada Post policy is to hold um, items that that they've uh, like quarantined for up to 30 days while they try to figure out if it can be, if it can continue on its um, journey. It should be your supervisor doing this, but maybe you don't have one. Maybe you have a lead hand or whatever. So they're placing the item in a secure spot where um, it's not going to continue in the mail stream. Um, so there's actually a log that Canada Post uses for this. And it's, uh, it's very important that you uh, note what day, what time you contained the parcel, the name of the person who decided to uh, quarantine it, why they're quarantining it. Um, so it's leaking, it's suspicious, we're worried about this. Everyone who might have come in contact with the item. Yep. Um, what, what actions you've taken to try to deal with it. So um, if you've tried to contact the sender and any further actions that might happen. So if, the, if that's kind of an ongoing process and you do find it a little bit more, um, you can add that to the log and that should be kept with the item. Um, and, and you want to make sure that it's clearly marked. So if, if say, the sender is uh, calling in and asking about their item, uh, you want to be able to say, yeah, we have it here and it's here. But um, never would you um, send it to them or let the addressee pick it up. If the sender wants to pick it up, they could arrange to do that. Um, but uh, as far as letting it continue in the mail stream, the only way that Canada Post lets that happen is if the sender provides a safety data sheet uh, explaining what is in the parcel and why it is safe to ship. In theory, I've seen them put things through, but that's what they're well, supposed they to be doing. They though. shouldn't. Because no. <laughs> that's um, just it. Like a person on the phone could just say, oh, no, no, it's just like cookies that I made for my grandson or whatever, you know, but. Um, so when something is identified as a potential real threat, the supervisors will call the area performance center and the area performance center will tell them what to do. Um, I'm surprised they just don't call hazmat right off the bat. I guess you don't call hazmat, you call the fire department. Um, in a small town, it might just be the local RCMP or something like that, depending on uh, how what your fire department is trained to deal with. But in a larger center like Saskatoon, um, the fire department will show up. Uh, the paramedics will sometimes show up. Uh, they'll come in and ask you, you know, just to make sure everyone's, uh, you know, your breathing's fine, yeah. your heart rate's fine, because there are powder things, uh, fentanyl and carfentanil can be absorbed through the skin. Yeah, so they're going to be looking for warning signs of that just in case. Um, but then it's just basically sit and wait. They'll do uh, a bunch of little on-site tests that they can do fairly quick um, to test for obvious things. Uh, I believe fentanyl is one of them, actually. For some things, they can tell right away that it's, it's safe. And it's still not a quick process. You'll probably be there for an hour, paid time. Um, right. And then uh, if they can't, then they'll send it off to uh, someplace else to have it checked. Um, again, in Saskatoon, it's fairly easy. It might be different in smaller towns. I'm sure it's different in small towns. But they have a larger hazmat truck they can come in and test much more thoroughly. And if they still can identify it, uh, this happened once here. They had to actually send it to the university 
and the university is very, very good and quick at dealing with things. But it's still a complex procedure and has to go through the lab. But uh, I think after they sent it to the university, we still got a result back within the hour. And uh, that one, I believe, was some kind of nail buffing compound. Oh, yeah. That's I the one that, that squirted in the guy's face. Ugh. So, but yeah, they didn't know what that one was right away. But it took a while. So, yeah, there's lots of steps. But your main job is just sit there and wait because they have to monitor you for anything that might have been absorbed through the skin. Um, and it's not like they leave you hooked up to a blood pressure cuff or anything like that. They'll just ask everyone small, hey, anything changed? And they'll come in every right. 20 minutes or whatever. Make sure you're okay. And uh, you're basically just sitting there waiting for the results and trying not to contaminate anything else. Um, the other thing we forgot to mention is as soon as you... Uh, as soon as the supervisor or bystander has time, you should be going around and turning off all of the HVAC systems and the fans so nothing's being blown around the facility because sometimes right. fine powders can be blown around. So yeah, as soon as the supervisor can, or even while they're on the phone, they should be going around and shutting those off. Or like I said, if you have one of those bystanders around who's available, in addition to helping keep people away from you, they can go around and shut off all the fans and whatnot. At the West Depot, in Saskatoon, where, where we both work, we actually have on our fire plan, our building plan, uh, all the fan controls and temperature controls marked on the map as to where they are. Because for some weird reason, we've got fan controls in three different places. We have an old building. Old places, yeah. And thermostats are in three, I think, as well. Yeah. So we actually have to go around and check six or seven locations to stop the airflow in the building. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But no fire alarms or sprinkler system. Right, right, because those are grandfathered in that we don't need them. Yeah, it's really <laughs> strange. But yeah, something like that you might want to add if you have a floor plan with escape routes posting your building. It wouldn't be a bad idea to add the HVAC controls there. And we have a list of them by every map in the building. I think we have three. Yeah, and it's I always find it funny when new supervisors come to our depot and they look at that and they go, what the heck? i got to run around and turn all of these off. And it's like, yeah, yep. if it comes up, it. you do. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, so when you're, when you, uh, when your supervisor contacts the area performance center, did you also start incident trending management system log? So ITMS. Sounds exciting. Very exciting. Well, and really, I think that's why, um, that's part of the process is that they would log it. They would keep track of that. And then if a similar situation comes up, like say if next month, the same shipper sends something, it's leaking and they get a call, they're going to go, oh, well, we dealt with this last month at a different location, but it was the same shipper. We're pretty sure it's this. We'll just quickly check with them and make sure, right? And it might save a whole lot of hassle, assuming that they can go back in their files and, and connect the dots. So your supervisor is also going to want to make sure that all of the people working there are aware of what's going on and that definitely the, the Health and Safety Committee has heard about it and knows that there's been an incident. Hopefully, or are they required to be informed? They're required to be informed. There. Which is a huge problem at the West Depot right now. They're really reluctant to inform El Josh about anything, even injuries that have happened. And we're just filing regular grievances. It's really out of, out of hand. Well, and it's not, just a, it's not just a violation of the collective agreement. It's also against the labor code. Like, it's just so mind-boggling that they are taking that approach. But what do you do? Um, so your health and safety committee members might uh, 
provide some guidance or advice on how to handle the situation. They might help you to select some PPE to protect yourself. And it's worth noting that you should always wear gloves um, when you're handling something like this because you don't know what's getting on your skin. Um, even if it's not leaking, you might want to wear gloves just to protect yourself. And I don't mean just like winter gloves, I mean like nitrile or latex gloves. Your health and safety committee will conduct an investigation and then hopefully be able to tell everyone when everything is safe to resume normal duties. We've done this before. There hasn't really been a separate L. Josh investigation because L. Josh has been there from has the very there. start. Yeah. I think I've been involved in all of them, actually. I think I was there yeah, for every too. one of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and then I've stayed. One time I was uh, right in the area. It may have been contaminated, but every other time I've stayed with the carrier the entire time as an L. Josh member. And mm -hmm. uh, I think the shortest one was about an hour. The fire department showed up, tested on site and said, yeah, this is what it is. But I've also been there for four or five hours just waiting. That one for the went to the university, I think, was five hours. Wow. But, uh, well, yeah, but the, you can't just go about your day. Like, you can't, you have no choice. Yeah. You can't, like, wander out and possibly contaminate the world or go home and contaminate your family, right? You could tell the, the police and the fire department, they came, they get a little more, they don't want you to worry, eh? But they'll get kind of a heads up. And they were told what type of stuff they were testing for. Like, it could be this, could be that, could be that. And they wouldn't say anything they're just yeah we've got it narrowed down but we're not sure yet and we'd be like okay what's it narrowed down to and they wouldn't say yet but you could tell they were nervous so i don't know what That's they were told the yeah and it ended up being nothing of course but uh <laughs> yeah it's a little little stressful sometimes sometimes it's you know you're pretty sure it's nothing and it's rash you're just waiting there killing time and whatever but it can be stressful and uh, I've had people very nervous about packages afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, so, again, we've mentioned the EFAP lots of times. If you need to call them because you're traumatized by a, you know, some people could view it as a near-death experience if they're really, really scared about what's there. Who For knows, sure. you know? It's almost like a car accident. You don't know what's going to happen, I guess. And I have had uh, people be very, very nervous about waiting for it and, um, I'm pretty calm about it. I'm like, yeah, we'll just wait and see what happens. Not a big deal. And, yeah. you know, you got the fire departments and the paramedics right there. But, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with being stressed out about it if you need to call the FAP or whatever. Yeah, and, and it might also be helpful, like, seeing as you're, however many of you are sitting there waiting to get the results, it might help to talk through it while you're there, just because everybody's probably a little bit on edge about it. Um, and that might help to um, alleviate some of the stress that you're feeling. And sometimes it just helps to know that other people feel the same way. <laughs> you know, not in, I'm not in this alone. <laughs> but that's basically the process is isolate the package, isolate yourself, inform the supervisor, and then follow the instructions of the emergency personnel when they show up. Yeah. You know, that's really all there is to it. Um, there's a lot that can go wrong there. Like I say, don't leave and try and wash it off. You can maybe brush it off if you have to. Um, and just stay calm. Please don't do like that supervisor did and taste it. Don't snort it. <laughs> don't smell it. <laughs> you know? No, don't smell it. I've seen that too. Some uh, Someone kind of sniffed at a package. But you can inhale a lot of stuff like that. And again, yes. fentanyl is bad. Carfentanil, um, something like three grains, which are like salt-sized grains. It's usually mixed with other stuff, but I think it's three grains can kill you. Wow. So if you actually 
well, that's, uh, you know, if you sucked it up into your lungs or something, you, you would just be done. Yeah, carfentanil is, is far, far more deadly than fentanyl is. Hmm. I didn't know. So that's the uh, hazardous material procedures. Hopefully you never have to worry about it again. Since the steps are pretty easy, um, it doesn't take a lot of time to go over this in a floor talk. Uh, if you haven't done it in a long time, I would maybe advise that they do that. Um, and it's something that people should be reminded of because the steps are fairly simple, but also really easy to, to mess up because your first response to something's wrong is go get the supervisor, which is intuitive, but you don't go get the supervisor and some people don't stop and make that connection. You have to wait and have the supervisor come to you. You know, there's always curiosity. You see something leaking, the first instinct is to pick it up and give it a shake and see if it's leaking more or is right. it really coming out of that package? You know, these are all natural things to do. So this, you're, a lot of this stuff, you're actually fighting your, your instincts. And uh, in our drills, most errors have been made because people just do what they would normally do when something's odd, you know, yep. without stopping to think about, you know, these, this more serious process because that's your normal response to things. Right. You have to just imagine you're wearing the concrete shoes and you can't walk. Yeah. So hopefully this is something you never have to worry about, but, you know, it is something to keep in the back of your mind and mentally review once in a while and just be prepared for. Um, like I say, I think it's been, it's been four or five of these I've gone through and none of them been serious, but it only takes one incident of something to go wrong and it can go very wrong. Unlike this podcast, which has gone flawlessly as always. <laughs> oh yeah. So if you want to congratulate us on another perfect podcast, you can always write an email to overburdenpod at gmail.com or you can check us out on Facebook. We'll also accept messages there.